Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks that move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 233. Well, just ahead, Crocs are still kicking as the company turns from a new shoe disaster. And Synopsys helping hardware companies get a jump on software and semiconductor design. And a fascinating conversation with Blink Charging CEO Brendan Jones building a massive charging network for electric cars. But is the demand really there? We'll have all that and more, but first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more and get 20% off if you use our link, Braintrust.com slash drilldown. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to Futurum's The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind Stocks and the Move. I'm joining from Shack 15 at the Ferry Building in San Francisco, as always. Joining me on the mic today, Ben Wilson. Glad to have it's you. It's good to be here. Good Back to be here, Portland. as always. Yeah, it's uh, 33-ish degrees outside, freezing. Ooh, really? Yes. In Portland? Yeah, surprising enough, but not raining, so I'll take it. Not good. Well, I have been uh, under some weather, as you can mm. tell from the sound of my voice. Yeah, it sounds like you've been partying, doing some late-night karaoke. I'm trying to sound sexy. It's still not working. <laughs> Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Crocs. Crocs. That ought to be a fun one. It trades under the ticker Crocs, C-R-O-X, with a market cap of about $6.3 billion. Shares were up almost 20% in the last months, and for the last 12 months, shares are up 6%, but that doesn't really tell the story. So what's the story with Crocs? Well, Ben, you know, uh, this is the kind of company you'd think was, was, was a fad, right? Uggs, Crocs, I don't know, these, these random ugly shoe things. But Crocs have, well, they've done well. You've heard of Crocs. You may wear Crocs, God save you. But have you heard of Hey Dude? Uh, not in the context of footwear, I haven't. Well, Hey Dude was a hot shoe for a while. So hot that Crocs bought the Hey Dude company, given the founder $2 billion and almost 3 million shares of Crocs itself. Uh, they kind of look, I don't know how to describe them. They look like they're made of felt. They're like Sperry's and Crocs all in one. Uh, it was all the rage until the time Crocs bought it. Um, they thought it was going to give them about 700 to $750 million top line. But when they've been posting results lately, the numbers have just not been there. So when Crocs came out and reported results for their third quarter, fiscal quarter, they came out and said uh, on November 2nd, look, what, hey, dude's just not going to do what we said it's going to do. We're taking our expectations way down. We are, uh, uh, you know, the growth we thought we were going to get from Hey Dude is not going to happen. We're not giving up, but we're not expecting growth from that. So take that out of your models. Take that out of your expectations. Hey Dude is not going to happen. And so that de-risking process uh, seemed to light the stock on fire, as you alluded to. As you, alluded to. Um, you know, and in the last quarter, the numbers were so bad. I mean, Hey Dude sales shrank 8% year over year. Good old-fashioned Crocs which by the way, that business is three times the size of Hey Dude. That's growing at 12% year over year in the third quarter. So if you accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative, Ben, well, listen to Crocs CEO Andrew Ross latch on to the affirmative within Hey Dude. I think the level of inventory was too high. So really what we're doing 
um, is proactively lowering in-channel inventories, uh, working with our strategic accounts to um, to clean up that inventory and putting them in a stronger sell-through and a more profitable position. Um, that's painful in terms of sell-in, which is what you see showing up in our Q4 guidance and what you see in our anticipated spring uh, 24 um, order book. Um, the second thing is um, improving segmentation and differentiation um, such that uh, all of our key customers that may trade, you know, in some cases in the same mall or in the same center um, can continue to grow their businesses uh, collectively. Um, so as we get a stronger innovation and, and stronger product pipeline, uh, we believe we can effectively do that. And the third thing is taking control of pricing, um, particularly in the digital realm. We've talked about um, when we close a lot of our international distributors, some of that excess inventory. And I think, you know, we didn't have full visibility to the amount of inventory that those distributors were holding. That has started to show up on Amazon in the gray market. We've seen a lot of price pressure from that. Historically, we had a strategy where we thought we could compete from a price perspective and make sure we captured our fair share. That was dragging down overall pricing in the market, so we pivoted from that perspective. That's given us uh, given up quite a bit of revenue expectation in the short term, um, but it's raised our ASPs, raised our profitability. It's obviously much more supportive of our wholesale customers, and we're hoping that that gray market inventory sells down quickly and we can reset the digital market. So those are probably the three big buckets from a sort of Monday morning quarterback perspective, and uh, we're very confident that those will uh, put us in a great position to continue to accelerate this brand in the long term. So yeah, Monday morning quarterbacking, uh, it's probably good to admit your mistakes, figure out what you got, not what you thought you were going to get. Uh, in the words of the value investors, we're all thinking of Charlie Munger this week, the late Charlie Munger. Um, you know, value is what you get, price is what you pay. He didn't say, Charlie Munger didn't say, hey, dude, value is what you get, price is what you paid, but he could have. Yeah, I feel like if this were a business comedy podcast, you could do a whole routine just incorporating hey, dude, into things. Hey, dude. You could pull it off. Spicoli. Dude. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at synopsis, dude. Synopsis, dude. No, it's just synopsis, but it trades with the ticker SNPS with the market Big cap company, of about $84 company. Billion. $84 billion, I think, says important, depending on who you ask. Shares are up 2% in the last week. For the last 12 months, shares are up 71%. So what's the story with synopsis? Or I Shocker. should say, what's the synopsis on synopsis? Well, there we go. Let's let us synopsize. Oh, God. Someday you'll be a dad, Ben, and then the dad jokes will flow more freely, I'm afraid. But in the meantime, synopsis. Uh, look, it's a, it's a really interesting company. It has been forever. Software tools that help people uh, design semiconductors. But uh, with all this uh, AI excitement, there's a lot of synopsis uh, uh, software usage to design AI chips, not just for the big companies like the NVIDIAs and the Intels and so on, which often have their own tools, but there are so many other companies designing chips now, uh, the companies that use uh, the AI chips of, of NVIDIA and others, companies like Amazon and Microsoft and Alphabet. Well, they are starting to use Synopsys to design tools, but also, really interestingly, not just to design their own AI chips, but to design the software that will run on future AI chips. That is, when they know a chip is coming down the line, long before that chip is completed, they will start to design their software and their hardware for those chips in advance using 
Synopsis software. So these tools are suddenly finding all kinds of new uses deeper into the uh, uh, technology institutions that are, are using these AI chips, using new chips, as well as designing these chips. That's expanded their market. That's expanded their growth. And they have seen fantastic growth uh, of late thanks to the expanding customer base. Here is the CEO of Synopsys talking about uh, the ways that AI is really driving uh, um, uh, the expansion of their business and their purchasers of their software. In terms of the need, uh, exactly the way you highlighted it, uh, the requirement to develop software early and having a hardware-assisted verification to enable that, pro that step in the process is not only continuing, is accelerating with many system companies are trying to design their chip or even if they're getting a chip from a, uh, a, a semiconductor company, they want to start their software development and verification of the system early. And uh, this is where our HAPS and Zebu uh, platform comes in to enable uh, that part of the solution. We're anticipating that to continue into uh, 2024. Uh, as you saw as well, we had a record year for our hardware-assisted verification in 23, and we don't anticipate anything different that will change going into 2024. So that was Sassi Ghazi, the uh, CEO of Synopsys. Uh, uh, just impressive impressive things they've got going on there with an expanding customer base, like I said. And uh, the it's it's interesting where success in AI is happening, where it's not. We haven't seen the big shakeout yet. Someday we will. But it's interesting also to see uh, the expanding list of companies benefiting from all the spending in AI. Corey, what is your next drill down? We're looking at a company I've been looking at for a long time since it's a private company, Workday. Workday trades with the ticker WDAY, market cap about $69 billion. Shares are up 13% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 84%. So what's going on with Workday? So HR software, um, as you mentioned, the stock's been on fire. The company's been doing very, very well, kind of from the get-go. They basically had the idea of this vast oversimplification, but... Uh, in the same way the Salesforce looked at CRM software and said, hey, we can do that in the cloud in a different way and eventually it'll be a bigger business. These guys said, well, let's do that with HR software. So once upon a time, people would use, companies would use PeopleSoft software and buy these big enterprise uh, applications and, and installations and would take forever to install. It could never be uh, displaced. These guys did it with software as a service, literally occupying the same place and even a lot of the same people who once worked at PeopleSoft. It has become a behemoth in the software world uh, based in Pleasanton, California, where PeopleSoft once was based, co-founded by Dave Duffield, um, uh, who hails from my native upstate New York. Um, Dave Duffield uh, started Workday as well. Um, uh, I think he's chairman emeritus or something now. Nonetheless, this company has kind of expanded from HR software to payroll tools and financial software and spent vast fortunes on, you got an AI, why not? Um, because they see the AI as really um, helping their customers do the time-consuming uh, tasks they have to do, like writing job descriptions or analyzing contracts and figuring out the really things they've got to focus on or getting more accurate revenue recognition as they're processing payroll. 
All those things can be done better with AI. They've spent money for a long time and are starting to roll out these generative AI tools right now in a Workday software. Um, and they're, they're seeing success and they're seeing uh, customers put this stuff to use. And they're also saying they're just getting started with that. They think it's going to actually accelerate even in, into a, a market where we've been hearing economists talk about we're going to see slower growth. We may or may not see a recession, but things aren't growing as fast. Workday out this week saying they're going to close deals faster because of the AI tools and investments they've already made. Here is uh, the co-CEO, co-founder, and the pride of Pittsburgh, New York, Anil Bushri. Um, I, I do think it will position us for our win rates to get stronger in, in 24. At this point, I don't think people are making decisions yet just purely on AI. Uh, I, th I think it's, a, it's something that every customer looks at to make sure that they're going to be covered with a new deployment or a customer knowing that Workday has, has them in a, in a strong place. But they're still looking first and foremost at running their business and moving off of crappy legacy applications into the cloud and we are, um, you know, we're unmatched in that category. And then when we add the AI stuff, I think it just checks that AI box. But I would say that despite all the hype, it's still in the early days of actual large-scale deployments of AI and HR and finance. We're, we're ready. We're just, we're waiting. So, yeah, watching, waiting, spending, like the rest of us. But uh, Workday already starting to see customers respond to their investment in AI. All right, coming up next, Blink Charging CEO Brendan Jones talked to us about uh, putting a lot of money out there to build a network of electric chargers. Now, we've seen the growth of electric car sales slow down. We've seen Ford and others pull back on some of their expenses and plans for uh, electric cars. Nonetheless, Blink Charging, charging ahead. We'll talk to Brendan Jones about that and more right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot -E com. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by Brendan Jones. He's the CEO of Blink Charging that does charging. Brendan, Absolutely. That the shortest interview ever. Okay, we're done here. Thanks for joining us. No, uh, I joke. Um, you have a, a really interesting company that's at the center of um, this huge move we have uh, in the world towards electric vehicles. How do you describe what your business is? So, you know, it's a business and what we do is we're, we're an enabler. We enable the sale of electric vehicles by providing infrastructure, both in the home, in the community, in fleet situations across the United States and globally. So we provide that device that charges the car. And on a multiplicity of ways, right? Depending yeah, on well, fast charging or L2 charging. So we see ourselves as an enabler, but we also see ourselves as a company that is changing the world one charger at a time. And you've got a lot of charges in market. The number of charges you have in market is growing really fast. Yeah. Since the history of the company, we've deployed uh, over 80,000 chargers, you know, globally uh, here in the United States and globally. Um, and each month we grow in the number of active chargers that's on the network. Um, and, you know, depending on what type of fleet situation is, we grow in the number of chargers that are deployed privately in fleets. But how much of the, the sorry, the total count you gave us just a minute ago? Since the inception of the company, yeah. 80,000. So 80,000. And how many of those have been installed in the last year of that 80,000? Well, over the last three years is where you're getting to when the majority of those has been installed. Uh, to give you an idea, 
um, because that's when the accelerated growth started coming into the space. Uh, you know, as a company Blink three, four years ago, only had 40 employees. We have 650 today. And that gives you an idea of the accelerated growth. So you're looking at the big acceleration period started, uh, you know, uh, surprisingly enough, as COVID was hitting. Uh, but there was an opportunity while COVID was hitting to really invest in infrastructure. And, and that's what we did. And that's where the big growth spurt happened for the company. Uh, I I should preface this with my slight bias. I guess I'm a customer because I have downloaded your app, but um, and I've I've used it once because I just bought a hybrid Jeep. Ah, excellent. Um, and which I love. Um, but I, the, you know, the the electric car growth. It seems you. Is it fair to say you're sort of it's you not versus Tesla, but the Tesla uh, uh, um, uh, ecosystem is on the other side of the divide from what you guys do. Yeah, Tesla, you know, first they're predominantly fast charging and we're predominantly level two charging. And the difference is, is AC versus DC charging. And most of Tesla's stations are publicly based station. Ours are publicly, but they're in high dwell time uh, locations. So we compete, but we're also complementary. But, you know, Tesla is an open standard now and we will offer what's called the NAC standard, which is Tesla on all of our chargers as well. Uh, so, you know, actually a little bit of a competitor, but, you know, it's going to take all ships to get the need, the number of, in, the amount of infrastructure out there that is needed to sustain this higher in, industry adoption rate that we need. So it's Tesla plus us, plus the others out there are going to really going to make it happen. So I'm in uh, the ferry building in San Francisco, right across mm -hmm. the street from me is the Embarcadero Center. And in the Embarcadero parking garages, there are Blink charging stations. How does that model work with a with a, uh, a, a property, a parking garage? Um, and uh, for So typically with a parking garage, we meet with the ownership or the management structure of a parking garage and we negotiate a contract. And we give them some options. We say, do you want to own these chargers? Or would you like to partner with us? Or would you like us to own them? And depending on what we predict utilization is going to be, one of those models is going to fit. Now, also depending on that, we determine the amount of revenue share that as someone uses it, do you want what portion of the revenue? That also dictates the amount of capital investment that we split between the two. So what we do for parking garages, which nobody else does, is we provide optionality and flexibility You know, and say, whatever you want, we're not going to say no to. We're going to find a way to tailor a solution that meets your needs and our needs. And sometimes we want to be the owner operator of the equipment. Other times we just want to sell it and maintain it for that particular private uh, property owner. But it really is what they need in the end. Take me down to some uh, unit economics, if you would. Mm -hmm. So if we look at, now we're talking about level two charging only. And the great thing about it is if, if we're installing under the owner operator model, right? Um, and we do just a basic install, uh, we can get a return on that investment in under 18 months uh, fully. And that's us paying for everything and getting a base level utilization of 10% in a 24-hour uh, period of time. What does it and, cost me as the, as, the, as the driver or as the, as the, the charger? What was that? Say that again? What does it cost me to use the service? The as cost as to as use the service is anywhere from 29 to 59 cents, depending on the tariff rates in your jurisdiction. So if you're a high uh, tariff rate jurisdiction, it costs more. Uh, and if you're a lower, it costs less. So if I, so I park my car and you, because uh, as I recall, it was like $2 or something for the day to get the charge. Yeah, you're in a really low cost uh, area, which is great. 
and and then you you know you charged up your charge char over the period of time of sitting there, right? That's a that's a great deal. And when you go to DC fast charging, the difference is is the faster the speed, the higher the rate uh, you get. So when you do it L two, it's usually a standard rate and consistent all the time. Um, but so that what is so let me re ask the question in a different way. What is the average cost to a consumer to charge their vehicle? So it's usually it's usually between I'll give you a range. It's going to be being twenty nine cents and thirty nine cents a kilowatt hour. And how many kilowatt hours is is a full charge for a car? It depends on the battery. Give me give me a range here. You you yeah. must know the average <laughs> the average amount that the customer pays. Yeah, I mean the average amount on an L two chargers is going to be between ten and twelve dollars on an L two, and that's dwell time in excess of four hours. Got it. Um, and so uh, uh, I, I think of this because when I go to the parking garage, I notice that the, you better get there pretty early to make sure the spots aren't taken because God, God forbid you're there at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. Those spots are gone. Yep. But the California is a special animal. You, I saw an interview with you and you referred to something called you called the smile states, which I'd never heard before. Yeah. But this notion of, of coastal and southern. Uh, uh, talk to me about how those places are different right now. Yeah. So it's interesting when we've seen, and we've seen this for years now is that, you know, you go to the tip of the West Coast all the way down through and you see this adoption curve and Texas is even adopting now as well. Now you, you skip over some of the Gulf states, but Florida now is popping up uh, on the adoption rate. And then it just runs up the East Coast. Now, everything in between, it's hit or miss. It's starting to happen. You know, we're at 8% nationally now on the adoption of the EVs. California's at 22% yeah. percent, uh, EV new, sold. new purchases. New purchases are, are electric vehicles. Not cars. Now, though, to, to yeah. tell you, you know, I, I'm an old school automotive guy, right? So I spent 21 years with Nissan North America. And when I joined the company, you know, we were at 4 or 5% market share as a total company. And, and Nissan's a pretty big company. Uh, but that was our market share in the U.S., right? Now you look at EVs in California or 22%. These are some astronomical numbers. Yeah. And and um, what what's your what's your sales strategy? How do you, how do you get... Um, a new, I guess I would assume that parking garages and, and, and shopping malls and so on are, are real big, important customers for you. Yeah. So the sales and the business development theme, they target those organizations. Uh, we also do quite a bit of business through uh, tenders and RFPs as they're issued throughout, throughout the country. We have a very large department that focus on that. You know, we recently won the post office uh, deal, which was the largest infrastructure deal in the history of the United States. And that was 41 thousand uh, five hundred chargers. We split that with two other companies, but our unfair share of that is really coming to play here. So you you're active in the RFPs, you're active in your business development and your channel marketing to you know w- whatever it is. We also do a tremendous amount of hospitality uh, and also healthcare. Healthcare is a big big partner of ours. Whether it's Kaiser Permanente, uh, Cleveland Clinic, uh, Lehigh Valley Health. Um, and that's an ideal situation because your doctor stay, stay is in excess of an hour um, and it gives the customer a great chance to charge and park while he's in the doctor's office. Um, and thank you, doctors, for all your delays to make it even better. Uh, the patients aren't <laughs> the first happy. First time we ever thanked the doctors for the waiting room. Yeah. <laughs> We got to find humor in waiting at the doctor at some point, right? <laughs> Perhaps, uh, yeah. We've, there, there have been some waits in the last year. In any case, um, as as this starts to roll out, I'm, I'm curious. Well, let's let's talk about the postal service deal since you brought that up. What are the milestones on that, and and 
what does the rollout look like so far? And, and you know, what, what are the kind of big moments when you get to 25%, 50% of that, that rollout? It's a big project. Yeah. So it's incrementally over the next three years, it's breaking down into tranches, right? The first tranche was already delivered, delivered earlier this year. The second tranche for us is happening now. And so you're going to see it. And the post office is, is managing this very professionally. So what it does for us is we have, you know, time to get the deliveries set up, time to deliver, time to inspect to make sure that they're all operational. And then we go back and we restart for the next phase again. And there's gaps in between. So then the post office takes them and they're actually act as their own deployment agent in putting the chargers in the ground and making sure that they're servicing their fleet. They have a fleet procurement schedule which plays into that and when they're buying all their electric vehicles uh, and how those are going to come to play. Um, so it's very, it's a very structured program, uh, one of the better RFPs I've seen, um, and very consistent thus far. Uh, we can predict our revenue uh, quarter over quarter and yet year over year pretty reliably based on that. And what's your revenue recognition of that project? Uh, how, how, how much in how does aggregate? Do you recognize when you ship it? Do you recognize when it's installed? So it's do you recognize it's, it over it's time? a little different. So most are when you ship, right? You can raise like with the post office, you have to ship and get a confirmation from them that everything is good. Then you can recognize it. And that's the, that's the agreement we signed with them. So upon inspection, receipt and all that, then you recognize. And so the money that they've paid shows up in receivables? Yes, it does. And, and, uh, and that's happening at pace. Yeah, and it's a very good pace. Uh, to give you an idea, our portion of that contract, uh, we forecast out for next year to be larger than our entire revenue in 2021 as a company. And where are you in terms of cash burn? So cash burn, we're managing. Um, you know, Me we too. Good- <laughs> we we're coming down is the key part. We had to do a lot of, uh, uh, you know, structural adjustment. The thing about blank in the last three years, we've also acquired six companies. So in acquiring those six companies, you got a lot of efficiencies and you got a lot of redundancy that you have to keep working through over time. Um, and we've been blessed with the ability to, to continually reduce that number. We have some more work to do in 2024 because we've established an EBITDA target of December 2024 being EBITDA positive. Uh, So we're working towards that number right now. So it's getting that burn rate down on a consistent level, eliminating as many of the one-time extraordinary expenses as you can uh, so you don't have so many of those anomalies uh, and impacts on cash flow. Um, And that we've been successful at. We have a much more cleaner slate running into next year uh, on that. We have to sunset a couple more networks in Europe um, and blend them into one network. And we're doing that. Uh, we're, the first step is this quarter where we're eliminating uh, two more uh, of those networks and we're finalizing our back office integration globally. Um, and that will start to reflect in the cost basis in Q1 of next year. You certainly would have more breathing room if you raised more money. Sold some yes. stock, borrowed some money. So, yeah, we have plans for that. Uh, so, you know, we're looking at, you know, financial results help, right? And Blink has a really good shot at being the first profitable EV infrastructure company in the country. Uh, and we're taking the steps to see that we can realize that. That also, the more fundamentals you look at and improve. And, you know, that's the difference. If you, 
you know, I've been doing this a long time now and you've got to have a fundamentally sound co company now that, you know, you don't say, yeah, one day we're going to be profitable. No, when you're going to be profitable, how are you going to be profitable? What levers are you going to pull? People aren't rewarding growth anymore. They want to see fundamentals and they want to see profitability. And that we can do that while growing revenue. And that's what we've proven over the last two to three quarters here. And that's what we're going to march into uh, 2024 with. But it, there's no rocket science here. It's basics. It's keep being efficient. It's, you know, I had the benefit uh, of learning out of 21 years and Nissan embracing the Kaizen co concept of every day, look at what you're doing. Find a way to take some more cost, improve a process, improve revenue. Uh, build that into what your cultural identity is as a company. Uh, and then do the right decisions up front in terms of raising cash, bringing the right product to market. And you're going to have a pretty good company if you do that. So um, one of the, the the big drivers, of course, uh, no pun intended, um, is is the Inflation Reduction Act and uh, President Biden's uh, uh, flooding the zone with tax breaks and incentives to get electrical vehicles built and deployed throughout the United States. How has that affected your business in the last, call it, six months? You know, it, it's very positive because, you know, it allows us to increase more awareness, right? So even when there is not an opportunity, one of those incentives uh, might apply, it's generated additional awareness that, hey, there's a sense of urgency that we need to get chargers and get them installed. The federal government's out there giving big money to do it. Uh, let's go do it. Now, on DC fast charging, where you want to make creative investments, uh, and what I mean by creative is you need some capital to offset what it's going to be on DC fast charging, right? The economic model is very challenging in terms of having profitable station economics. So engaging with the federal government saying, hey, we'll give money to the states, that'll pay for 80% of the station install, and then you have a chance to be in profitability, that's driving the DC fast charger business right now. L2 doesn't have much of an effect on because L2 has such a lower capital base that you can become profitable on a group of L2 chargers because you just don't have that. It's 20 to one or not, if not more in terms of the capital needs uh, to put one in the ground and, and then even less on the operational side. So, but for DC, those programs are driving uh, right now the business across uh, the country. And there's also a lot of local and state uh, dollars. So they're, they're key, and the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, really from we're sitting here in uh, Bowie, Maryland today, and you know we're upgrading our facility here, uh, and you know we're getting a lot of you know positive feedback from the federal government and the state of the Maryland as a result of the Inflation Reduction Act and other uh, efforts on you know how we make this new facility uh, that we're adding, and that's get, putting our production up to fifty thousand units a year in the United States. Uh, out of here. But all that funding, you know, is coming out of uh, some of that grab-based money that's coming from the Fed uh, and from the state, uh, et cetera. So it's having a very positive well, it impact. Also, it also seems that, yeah, it seems that also that that as much as the Biden administration has tried to rush the impact of this to make it felt quickly with tax breaks and incentives for buying uh, new electric cars that are mostly American-made, also trying to get jobs in the U.S. and not just for foreign cars, although there's some weird weirdness around leasing, but whatever. Uh, but it also, it does really seem that the way the law is written, as much as it's an accelerated process to have some effect immediately, that five years from now, the effects of that uh, that 
law is really going to have a lot more electric car production in the U.S. Yeah, there's there, look if you look at all the you know what we'll, uh, we'll we'll label as the foreign domestics that are coming in the builder cars now here, and 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 you're right that's you establish that manufacturing base, uh, and you get the local production, you're going to start selling those cars, right? So on the bigger items like car manufacturing and even battery manufacturing at a scale, right? Because it's having a big impact on battery manufacturing as well. Uh, we're building the U.S. economy for this technology shift away from internal combustion engines. So it's having a big, big impact there. And you, you see it in the plan announcements from battery plants to new manufacturing facilities, North Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina Tennessee, Georgia. Um, uh, they're coming in every day, even new ones up in Michigan. Uh, every day we're seeing them. And Tesla, you know, big plan outside Austin, Texas. Um, that that's coming online now. So a lot of investment, um, good news for the U.S. economy in the long term. Interesting stuff. Interesting company. Brendan Jones is the CEO of Blink Charging. We appreciate your time. All right. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Coming up next on the Drill Down the Bite, one number that tells us a whole lot about Blink Charging right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches the highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And get 20% off when you use this link, Braintrust.com slash drill down. We are back with a drill down the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about blink charging. So I mentioned how fast these guys are growing and how many chargers they've got about over 80,000 chargers in the market right now that they've either installed or deployed or sold. But the pace of sales is really picking up for this company in the last quarter, just in the last quarter alone, they sold 5,956 chargers or contracted to sell them or deployed them. Uh, that's a fantastic number. That's more than 60 a day, uh, 66 per day even. Fantastic growth for them. So uh, uh, four Blink Chargers, you can see they're really picking up the pace there, Ben. And uh, with my hybrid, my new hybrid Jeep that I'm driving, I tell you about a hybrid Jeep? You just did. Well, there we go. Um, it's cool to have these chargers around once in a while for my short commute when I take the car on a commute or drive around, you know, Drive 20, 30 miles of this hybrid. That's all I get on it. But the notion that I can get a charger at the other end, uh, is, you know, I'm using a lot less gas, strangely. Hmm. Strange. Right, thank you for listening to the future. I'm drilled on in my horrible voice. It was I'm wonderful, Johnson. Corey. Thank you to Ben Wilson. Uh, we're trying. We're trying, Ben. Thank you. Well, he's been my fabulous co-host. And more importantly, as always, our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of Futurum's Business Podcast Network. <laughs>